0: As we continue our series, White Lies, we'll see how easy it is to take some truth that's very clear and slowly turn it into something else. Here's Pastor David.
1: Let's read some scripture. This is uh, John 20, 24 through 29. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. This is after he had risen. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came to the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach out your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it. Into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered to, and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the day we celebrate the most important event that has ever happened in the history of the universe. The most, yeah, you can clap for that. This is the day we celebrate victory that was given to us by God through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. For the believer, there is no day that compares. It's not like, well, there's July 4th, and then there's, you know, Labor Day, Arbor Day, of course, you know, and so on. And then, you know, somewhere in there's Resurrection Sunday. This is it. There is nothing else on the level of this. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you would not even recognize the world you live in. Had he not come and died and risen, we would be in a very different place. People get worked up over all kinds of days. And hey, look, holidays are fun. Some people like the birthday thing. and People are like, it went from, hey, it's my birthday. You know, maybe say hi on Facebook to like, hey, it's the week of my birthday. So there's people who are like, it's my birthday month. Yeah. Okay. I'm not getting you a present, so don't bother telling me. Right. That's nothing. Resurrection Sunday. So because it's so exciting, I thought maybe we should talk about contract law. (laughs) I guess I better explain first. We're in a series called White Lies. We looked at apathyism. If you don't know what that is, well, you should come to church more often um, because we talked about it, but you can check that out online on the website, on YouTube, on Spotify, on, everywhere. Go to the internet and just be like, where is it? And they'll, they'll come to you. Um, so we talked about apathyism, and we started talking about uh, progressive Christianity. Um, and there was something that, we, that I was reminded of yesterday when I was doing some research. Um, good lies, they look pretty good on the outside. They do. It's like, you think of lies and you're like, oh, that's just a horrible lie. But you know what? It's usually not like that. A good lie is going to twist. It's going to pervert truth. False teachers are not going to come right out and tell you an obviously ugly lie because obviously you'd never believe it. So they start out kind of sounding good. The ugly lie comes later after you've already swallowed all the ones that come before, some of which are true and some of which are false. Before you know it, you've swallowed the whole thing. It starts like this. I have an example here, and and listen, I'm going to talk about something. This is not what the sermon is going to be about, but, you know, don't get worked up. In any case, it starts like this. Somebody would say, hey, we should love people. That's true, right? That's true. We should love people. And they kind of work in, and they're saying, we should love people even if they're different. True. Then we hear, we should affirm to people that they're valuable even if we disagree with them. Again, we're still on a good track here. That's true. All those things are true. The next one is to go something like, it's possible that when we disagree that we could be wrong. Now, here's where the twist comes. It's half true. It's half true. See, we can be wrong about a lot of things, but there's some things we can't be wrong about. Two plus two is four. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It is impossible to be wrong about that. If if that's wrong, then there's no such thing as right, okay? So there are things like that. I know that two plus two equals four. I know that I love my children. We can't agree to disagree on that. I love them. It's just the way, it's just the truth. You can't talk me out of it. I know that sin leads to death. I've seen it. I know it. I feel it. It was me being led to death before Christ saved me. So I know some things that we can't agree to disagree about or that I can't agree that I could be wrong about. So it's a half-truth. Then when you get to the half-truth, you start, once a twist comes, that's the tipping point. That's where it pushes. The next one goes something like this. People know who they are, whether you agree or not. No, not true. People think all kinds of untrue things about themselves. For instance, people have believed about themselves that they were very good singers and could hit all the notes. I wasn't talking about me yet. I was gonna, That was coming later. But you've seen those American Idol ones, right, where they come in, they're like, everyone has told me I'm the best. Like, Wah! they say, Then they sing like me, and they're like, ah, oh, I don't think so, you know, get out, you know, that whole thing. But they believe it about themselves, right? So when you say people know who they are, whether you agree or not, that's not true. Sometimes they don't know who they are. Some people, there are people in hospitals who think they're the Queen of England. There are cases where people believe things about themselves that are objectively false. So the statement, people know who they are, whether you agree or not, is not true. It's not true. Next one. If a per- person believes something about themselves and calls it their identity, you should affirm their truth. We've taken another step down. It, it's all led from one place, so you have to see the way that they're working it down. See, there's, there's two ways that we do things, the right way and the wrong way. The right way is we deduce from what's true about God and who he is to what's right. The other way is you start there and somewhere on the line you take a twist. Twist. You take a twist, and that's where, that's where this one goes. Obviously, it's untrue that you should affirm anything anyone says about their, themselves if it's, they say it's their identity. If somebody tells me I identify as a doctor but can't tell a knee from an elbow, I'm not letting them do surgery on me. No, I'm not going to do it, right? If I go to the trailblazers and I say I identify as a 6'10", really good basketball player, they're going to say, I can't affirm that. I can't affirm that about you. It's not True. It's not true. It is untrue that people simply get to declare their own identities regardless of what the objective facts are, and that other people must affirm their claims regardless if they're obviously untrue. Okay, it's not true. The next one in the list, and this is not what we're preaching about today. This is just an example, so there you go. It is morally wrong to deny that a male is a female if that male claims to be a female. Not true. You can see where it, where it flows from the argument though, right? If, they're allowed, if people know their identities better than you do, if they're allowed to say it and you always have to affirm it, then if somebody says, this thing about me is true, and it's not true, you'd have to say it. Now, we're not talking about transgenderism today. In fact, I have a lot of sympathy for anybody who suffers with those kinds of issues, okay? But my sympathy for people does not make me compromise truth, okay? And so my point about this is not... To talk about the issue itself, we'll get into that. That's gonna happen at some point here soon because I think we need to understand how to help people and how to love people through those kinds of situations. Uh, but my point is that the lies rarely start with number seven, the last one I gave you. They usually start up at number one and they twist as they go down. The earlier statements come first, progressively muddying the water until you buy the last statement. You can watch it in society. You can watch it and things people say and write and put on TV. Literally, you can just watch how lies have entered in and have become popular. Things that 20 years ago, nobody would have agreed with, people will fight for now. How does it happen? It's a little, it's a little, it's a little, it's a twist. It just comes a little at a time. Did God really say? Did he really say that? Satan's very good at it. He's the father of lies. It's where lies come from. But lies can look good until it's too late. I ate at a restaurant uh, here in town once. This is years ago. And I'm not going to tell you the name of the restaurant because I don't want to get sued. You know how I feel about lawyers. Um, I'll tell you later if you ask, but I'm not going to say it on camera. It's a pretty nice restaurant. Um, I don't remember what the main course I ordered was, but I, I ordered fries as a side. Some of you are like, fries? It's not a pretty nice restaurant. Look, I'm a little less fancy than you, okay? I get fries at nice restaurants. So they brought out these fries, and they were somewhere between like a steak fry and a Jojo, or a potato wedge if you're not from this area. Did you know that Jojos, we only say that here? If you go anywhere else in the country and say Jojo, they are not going to know what you're talking about. It's a Portland thing. Just so you know. So you know that now. Don't, you'll look really dumb if you ask for Jojos somewhere else. They'll be like, what? <laughs> See, look at what you're getting. You're going to have to tie the extra this week. All right they brought out these fries, okay? Um, These potatoes look good. Fried potatoes, in my experience, usually look good. I don't know if you like fried potatoes, but if you say you don't, I think you're lying. They're very good. So, I pick one up. I'm hungry, right? I pick one of these fries up. Mmm, steaming, whatever. I don't remember if it was steaming, but the the story sounds better, though. I I put it in my mouth, and I start chewing. It's a good-looking fry. Uh, I realized almost immediately that I had made a major mistake i spit out this potato i almost vomited okay almost the potatoes had gone rotten and apparently nobody back there in the kitchen of redacted noticed okay as i started to chew these fries when i put them in my mouth the unmistakable smell of what smelled like waste yeah you you don't even know i was the one who had to do it okay just filled like my nostril and my cavity, right? It was so, it's hard to describe how disgusting it was. Although from your faces, I think I've done a pretty good job of describing it. So I only ended up eating like half of them. No, I'm kidding. Obviously I had them take away the fries. The point is what looked good on the outside was rotten on the inside. It was rotten on the inside. Ideas can be like that Sometimes. They can look really good on the outside. I was was reading some stuff. The reason I I bring this up, I was reading one a progressive Christian, and some of the stuff that they write is very compelling. Some of it's very true. Some of it sounds pretty good until you get a little deeper and you see that the core is rotten. And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful because that's how people get you to fall for lies. That's how they've convinced themselves of lies oftentimes. So as I said, let's talk about contract law. I want us to understand how something that is clear can be made unclear, and how deception works sometimes. Most of you have signed a contract at some point in your life. You've signed a lease for an apartment or an employment contract. Perhaps you signed a health club contract. Contracts are signed all the time, right? You download some app or your phone or install some software. There's like a 50-page thing of legalese, and it says, click this box if you've read and understand this, and agreed to the terms. Here's a fun fact. No one has ever read that. It's never happened. They could be saying anything in those those contracts. I don't know. I'm like, I'm an attorney and I'm like, no, not happening. I don't want that so I can play Angry Birds. I'm just waiting for the day when like Google shows up in my house and they just start moving my furniture out. And I'm like, what's going on? They're like, you gave us this. And the last time we did a thing, you know, a update, you pushed, I agree. And I'm like, you got me, you know, well played Google. Well played. I'm not looking at the thing, right? In any case, when you sign a contract and there's a problem with the contract, Okay, somebody thinks somebody didn't didn't do it. You go to your friendly neighborhood lawyer and you go to a judge and you say, hey, this guy didn't do what he was supposed to do according to this contract that he signed. Okay, that's how it works. The judge is gonna look at the contract, this this written contract, and the judge is gonna try to see who is right. But here's where it gets interesting, okay? Those of you who wanna wake up your husband and say, I'm finally gonna say something interesting. um, This is where it's coming. Listen, sometimes one of the people who signed the contract will say that the words in the contract don't really mean what it seems like they mean. This happens in the law. There's actually a whole thing going on. One contract, one person will say, hey, the contract says, Sam will sell me all the chickens he has, let's just say. And Sam will say, when we put that term in the contract, I, what we meant was all the chickens I have in the red barn, which is only half my chickens, the other half are in the gray barn. And we talked about that before we signed it. So that's what it meant. But there's a rule for that. It's called the parole evidence rule. Not parole like my parole officer. Thank you, Officer Dan, for coming, by the way. I appreciate <laughs> it coming this Easter. But it, parole as in a French word that it doesn't matter what it means. It's just what it's called, okay? Anyway, the parole evidence rule says that if a judge can look at a contract and what it says is clear then this judge will not listen to any other evidence about what it may mean from the parties, okay? So they, you can't come back in and say, this is what we talked about, this is how we negotiated, this is, the, this is the kind of stuff. So you use that to interpret what's here. If it's clear from the face of the contract, all the chickens, if that's what it says, they don't need to go back and look at anything else. It's called the parole evidence rule, all right? So... I know this is boring, but listen, I'm going to explain this more. It's going to come to you. Anyway, rule evidence rule makes sense, right? If, if it's easy to say, the judge can say, look, Sam, you got to sell this person all your chickens because that's what it says in the contract, period. That's the deal. All right. Um, you know, I'm not going to listen to your evidence about red barns and gray barns and that's what you meant, but they didn't think that's what you meant. No. Boom. Give them the chickens. Justice. Bam. Gavel. Everybody's happy, Right? particularly the lawyers who are the ones who made all the money anyway. Here's the deal. What happened over time is the parole evidence rule has gotten squishy. Are you surprised? No, you're not probably. People started saying, what if the language is vague or unclear in the contract? And so judges said, all right, yeah, I can see that. The language is vague or unclear. Maybe we could use some testimony to sort of figure that out. And that makes sense. That makes sense, right? But then some judges went a step further. They said, what if the language is clear, completely clear in the contract? Sam will sell all those chickens, whatever it is. But one of the parties wants to offer evidence that could make it unclear, like Sam wanted to do here, right? And then some judges said, yeah, let's do that. Let's let them bring in evidence to make something that was obviously clear, unclear, and then we'll reinterpret based on this information that made the thing that was really obvious to everybody not as obvious anymore. Once that happened, the parole evidence rule, which had made things easier to handle and more clear, and forced people to be really clear when they wrote contracts, started to evaporate in certain places, started to be not very useful. Now, there's a reason I'm telling you this. The reason is that people do the same thing with the Word of God. They do exactly, this is important, they do exactly the same thing with the Word of God. They try to make things unclear, which are very clear. Things that you could not mistake, they will try to bring in stuff to make it seem like it's not as clear as what it says. And once they've done that, then they've got you. Once they've done that, they can start reinterpreting that scripture and every other one based on this lack of clarity that they've brought. But there are some things in the scripture that are just really clear, couldn't be more clear The scriptures, for instance, are very clear about what we celebrate today. The bodily resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. The empty tomb. The risen Lord. We've been studying in this series progressive Christianity. What people call progressive Christianity. Some progressive Christians, although not all. They're hard to peg down, some of these folks. Not all. But some progressive Christians deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. They say he did not rise again. Some of them say, it's not important. It's not important whether Jesus rose again or not. There's an author at progressivechristianity.org that says that there's some people who like to go into Resurrection Sunday services. They really enjoy it. But here's the thing. Some of them can't intellectually sort of agree with the idea of resurrection, so we should find a way to make them feel more welcome. And he goes on to explain exactly what I'm talking about, trying to make things that are utterly clear in scripture, unclear, and then change a thing. And by the end of it, it's like, well, resurrection, I think we're really just talking, I mean, the body of Christ is there. So technically he's resurrected in the fact that the church exists or or people have resurrection all the time. Like one thing, they do bad things and then God helps them to do things that are better. That's resurrection. And that's not resurrection. Resurrection is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and physically, bodily rose again. I'm not going to make you feel comfortable with that fact. No one's comfortable with it. It has shaken up the whole world.
0: The resurrection of Jesus makes all the difference. And you want to be sure to join us for part two for much more. Until then, let me remind you that Acts Church is really easy to find in Vancouver, Washington. And we would love to have you join us this Sunday. Get easy directions and all the info you need anytime at org. Thanks again for joining us today, and we'll look for you next time for more from Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.